outer space. You're listening to the first and only pirate radio station exclusively serving the inner solar system. Welcome back to For All Mankind, the official podcast. I'm Chris Marshall, aka Commander Danielle Poole on the Apple TV Plus series. Each week, I sit down with the cast, crew, and show creators to discuss what just happened in the latest episode. This podcast will be jam-packed with spoilers. So if you haven't seen episode four of season three yet, press pause, go watch, and come back. Today, there is a lot to talk about. So I'll sit down with Cynthia Wu, who plays Kelly Baldwin, and executive producer Matt Walpert. But first, let's do a quick recap. We begin the episode with all three ships in flight, racing to be the first to Mars. Phoenix is in the lead, that is, until NASA's Sojourner goes full pirate mode and unfurls a solar sail to put them at the head of the pack. Back at JSC, President Ellen Wilson returns home to celebrate the NASA mission to Mars. Just outside, Jimmy Stevens makes some new friends at a protest over the loss of jobs created by Dev Iesa's Helium-3. In deep space, the Soviets are dead last and try a risky maneuver to take the lead, but overload their nuclear engine in the attempt. The two remaining ships need to decide who will rescue the stranded cosmonauts. Ed volunteers Phoenix, but Dev takes control remotely and forces the Helios team to continue towards Mars. NASA is left to save the Soviets and the crew begins a risky tether crossing. After saving all but one of the cosmonauts, the tether snaps, and the last Soviet and two American astronauts are killed. Check the communications uplink log. Software update came in with the last message from ground. Software update. What is it? Dev Ayesa just locked me out of my own spacecraft. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with two wonderful human beings who happen to be my coworkers. First off, I've got Matt Wolpert. Hi, Matt. Hi. Matt, what do you do on the show? I am one of uh, the showrunners of the show. Uh, I also co-created the show with my writing partner, Ben Nadibi, and with Ron Moore. And we produce the show and write the show and... Uh, I also do craft service, and I build all of the sets. Nice. And I'm he and makes a mean tuna fish sandwich, y'all. Okay, if this TV thing doesn't <laughs> sort out, you got a career and lunches. That's right. And then I'm also sitting down with a first timer to the podcast. Are you nervous, babe? Don't be scared. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm taking deep breaths. <laughs> we are sitting Chris down. Chris knows me too well. <laughs> with Cynthia Wu, who plays Kelly Baldwin. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, Chris. Hi, Matt. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you're so cute. Okay, so Matt, since you're uh, an old veteran on the mm. podcast here. Yes. This episode, episode 304, is called Happy Valley. I can't even say the phrase Happy Valley without getting a great big smile on my face showing all of my molars. Talk to me about uh, the episode title. How do you guys even decide on a title when you're creating the through line of the season? 
You know, we handle that a lot of different ways. Uh, first of all, I also love the title because it just conveys an optimism that I think is really a mm -hmm. part of this race to Mars. So a lot of times writers will come up with their own episode titles, which this was a Joe Manofsky special here. Um, mm -hmm. But there are various ways we, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll come up with the episode title when we're breaking the episode in the room. Sometimes it's the writer, sometimes... When we're shooting it, something resonates that we change it later. So there's a lot of different ways. But there's also one of the elements that we talked a lot about in the room was this, there's sort of a quality of a Western to this season mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And the idea of Happy Valley just feels like where, you know, John Wayne would have built his little cabin and, uh, uh, you know, been out uh, riding the range. So. <laughs> um, so, Cynthia, I want to talk to you a little bit. Let's back it up. Okay, so the last time we saw Kelly Baldwin, she is creating some autonomy and some agency in her life. She's telling her folks, I'm going to Annapolis and y'all can't stop me. And so who is she when we see her at the top of season three? Yeah, Kelly has since gone on to Annapolis, and she's also done graduate research and is an astrobiologist. Um, Insane. Yeah, I know, out in Antarctica. <laughs> and this is on top of all the all of her, you know, ribbons and things at Annapolis. Mm -hmm. Like, she is a pilot. Her dreams came true. Yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's just nerding it up in, uh, you know, Antarctica at the top of season three and doing research and digging into, you know, bacteria and growing things in labs and, and stuff like that. I think I believe you mean sphingomyelin. Is that what those <laughs> things are called? <laughs> oh, gosh. I think it's a sphing... sphing sp oh, gosh. I forgot already. Sphingo... Matt, what's that thing that she discovers? It's some kind of a Sphingomonas? No. Sphingomonas. Yeah. <laughs> that yes, yes. Good old subterranean sphingomlingalingaling. Yeah. <laughs> So when we see Kelly return, um, I believe it is her first conversation before she even goes to see her folks. She comes to talk to Danielle. Yeah. Um, talk to me about what that day was like. But let's talk about that day for Kelly and let's talk about the day for Cynthia because that was a really cool day, that that whole scene with you and I. It was. Um, that day for Kelly, you know, she— she had spoken to her dad, you know, when she was still up in Antarctica, and she had agreed to join him on his mission. Mm -hmm. But she knew, you know, after Ed made the the wild announcement that he was going to Helios, it made her pause and question, oh, gosh, well, do I want to go along with my dad and this whole Helios thing? Or do I kind of want to do what I had originally set out to do? which is work with NASA. That is, mm -hmm. you know, that has been her lifelong dream. And also, you know, she is already a Baldwin. She kind of wants to step out from under her dad's shadow. It would just almost be too in line with exactly what the Baldwins would do, right? So, you know, um, she gathered her nerve and just went for it. So, you know, uh, it gave, I think, Danielle Poole a lot to think about <laughs> since she had mm -hmm. her eyes already set on someone else. Um, mm -hmm. It was challenging for Kelly to do that, knowing that her dad, she would let him down, but she obviously had to do it for herself and her her own ambitions. And then the day shooting with you, it was just so fun. Um, walking, You were so inspired. <laughs> just, you're in awe. You had to get past the starstruck part, like, oh, my God, I'm working I know, with Chris Marshall. Working but then... with icons. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was truly like growing up. I felt like, you know, walking through the NASA hall and the, walking into the conference room for the first time. I, Cynthia was taking it all in because it was kind of my first walkthrough in that area. Kelly in season two, you know, she was pretty much at home that we got to see her at the like the Baldwin family home. So I got to grow in that as well, walking through the halls and then seeing you. It just all kind of came together. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun that day. Yeah, it's yeah. great. You know, I think one of the sort of delicious parts about being on this show is that, of course, we have great writing and beautiful storytelling. But it, there's also this experience of having these folks on the show who you know and who you love, but you've spent so little time with them. Yeah. I mean, I spent all uh, season two in Russia or training with Russians, and then I spent a lot of time in space. So, of course, I know you and love you, but I think it i think it was our first scene ever together. It was. Um, and then cut to, we spent a whole lot of time <laughs> together this season. No spoilers, but uh, we spent a lot of time together this season. There was a familiarity right away. There is, yeah. Yeah. Matt, talk to me about the significance of Kelly wanting to go on her own and go with Danielle. I have to say, I think it's one of the things I love about our show is being able to see our characters grow and, you know, thinking about teenage Kelly, who you saw a bit of that with her when in episode three of season two, she was standing up for what she wanted mm -hmm. uh, with her parents and saying, I want to go to Annapolis. You see that there's a bit of that grit in her and you know, being courageous enough to go sort of search out her birth father. Mm -hmm. But in season three, I think it's so much more forefront, that kind of backbone and the self-awareness and, and the sort of uh, advocating for herself. You really see her growing into the woman that that, you know, especially as the season goes on, more and more you will see her become that sort of steely-eyed missile woman, NASA badass. It's really been a great thing to see Cynthia pull that off because she does it really well. Thank you. <laughs> it was so crazy seeing everything you and Ben write for me because I'd be like, oh, gosh, it's they're doing this. It's happening. And every time I'd be like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. One of those here-we-go moments is uh, some of the stunt and wire works, right? Welcome to the Wedgie Club. <laughs> so what was that experience like, uh, Cynthia, for you to do so much wire work? And there are long stretches of scenes, like I think of the scene that you're in the, your DJ booth, and you're <laughs> talking. Not only are you hanging from a wire, and you're in the middle of the stunt, which is core exercise, but then you're also speaking Russian. Like, how are you feeling about juggling all these crazy obstacles at the same time? Deep breaths. Oh, my gosh. I think right <laughs> up until I'm sure they've seen it and behind the scenes, like up until I hear rolling or action, it's like just me doing, OK, this, this and like running through the moves <laughs> in my head. But um, I had a freaking blast when Seth uh, Edelstein called me and said, like, oh, you're going to start doing stunt rehearsals and wire work, mm -hmm. I was stoked. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. here we go. Action. Like, I love action movies. I grew up watching them with my dad, so anything, even if I'm horrible at it, I will be your fool. <laughs> um, so I showed up the first day, and Todd, our wonderful stunt coordinator, 
put me in the things, um, the harness. And I had a freaking blast. I didn't know a darn thing what I was doing. But for hours, I think it took me the first week. Um, It took me Mm -hmm. like three full days of stunt training until I was like, oh, I think I I know how to go with the movement and to not – to use my body with the the stunt people. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just for our listeners, I don't think people realize that we are not in a zero-G module. I've had a couple (laughs) of viewers ask me, so what's – do you guys film in a zero-G set or something? People do. They're like, that that, that, – what's it called? (laughs) Vomit Comet? I'm like, "Uh, no, (laughs) we're in a studio in Sony. (laughs) Right. But no, we have to – you know, it's stunts. Um, So, yes, it was – a challenge, um, but such a fun one. I went and bought pads because I realized very quickly wearing a mm-hmm. giant girdle <laughs> is not very comfortable. <laughs> but it's so much fun. Um, and yeah, like I said, deep breaths before they yell action, and then you're just like, okay, pushing the buttons, speaking the Russian. Let's let's do I'm it. It's it. all the trust. I'm ball. doing all the things. I'm doing all the things. Okay, so let's jump to the exchanges that um, Kelly is having with the Russians. Um, Matt, explain to me exactly how did we get here? What did the Russians try to do? How did they screw the pooch? This episode really embodies a big part of what we were trying to do this season, which is this idea of a real-time race. Because up to this point, mm-hmm. the idea of the space race has been like, We'll send a rocket up to the moon, and then they'll send a rocket up a few weeks later, and it's Mm -hmm. sort of that. But because of the way Mars works, there are these launch windows every two years where if you want to go, you want to go in that launch window, or you you need Mm -hmm. to wait two years. Um, But what we realized very early on was that there's actually very little that you can do to manage. Uh, It's not like they're burning their engines the whole time, right? You know, there's a few things, as, as people saw in the episode, where you can um, have a, your sort of secret weapon, uh, your secret mm-hmm. sail that you can unfurl uh, to, to change things. But but if you don't have something like that, you've got to do another burn, which is really unadvisable. Mm-hmm. One of the things we we learned in really researching the Russian program is that their the risk tolerance level is a lot higher in the Russian program. That from the very beginning of their program, they've they've been um, making do with a lot less money uh, and a lot less resources and making up for it just by sheer grit and determination and, and guts. Uh, and mm-hmm. and in this particular instance, maybe they shouldn't have done it because <laughs> it uh, put all of their lives in jeopardy and wound up killing a bunch of people. But, you know, that, that happens sometimes <laughs> yeah. when you when you roll mm-hmm. the hard six. You got to break some eggs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And so that burn... That was definitely not recommended. Causes some sort of nuclear event on the Mars ninety four ship. Is that correct? That's right. The, so they're using a nuclear engine like the uh, Americans are mm-hmm. using because it's the same engine. <laughs> they sure. they got yeah. their design as we all saw from uh, Margot Madison. So yeah, the reactor that they're using sort of goes into a, a form of meltdown that if they're not rescued from their ship will irradiate everybody on the ship and sort of a a mini Chernobyl-type event if they're not rescued in time. So now we've got life on Sojourner, which we've been 
busting our behinds to get to first place. And we're in first place, firmly in first place, so much so that we are set to land on Mars eight days before these other guys are. And we discover that Dev won't allow the Helios folks to turn around and go back or slow down and get them, I guess. And so now it's up to the Sojourner crew to decide, do we want to give away basically our lifelong dream of being the first human beings on Mars to save these people? People who we've never even met before, people who are not even our friends. Cynthia, talk to me about that scene of... uh, Danielle delivering the news of what Dev has done and the conversation that unfolds with the Sojourner crew. It was a big blow. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfurling the sail was such a huge moment for us. And it was, we had bonded over that. We had, our Mm -hmm. team was amped. We were go. And, you know, but at the same time, as, as much as a bummer as it was, we also understand duty. And mm-hmm. we just knew you got to do what you got to do. And if it were us struggling out in space, we would hope the nearest and most capable ship would also come to our rescue. So back to business, right? As much fun as it is to talk about being first, we all have to make it there alive. Mm-hmm. Matt, we talk a lot in our show about the sort of mm, old dinosaur aspect of NASA that, uh, you know, you look at the Helios ship and it is like, you know, it's high end and they've got artificial gravity and meals from Wolfgang Puck and, you know, it's just so nice over there. And then we've got the NASA ship that is very efficient, but, you know, certainly doesn't have any... Uh, bearskin rugs on the ground. Um, talk to me about the cons of the NASA bureaucracy, but then also the pros of the NASA bureaucracy and the NASA thinking, which is exactly what Cynthia just said. We know what the right thing is to do, even if it means that um, that we don't have the outcome that we wanted. Yeah, it's a really fascinating uh, dichotomy of like the pros and cons of of a government agency versus a private mm-hmm. company in terms of how they approach design, how they approach mission purpose, how they approach duty and things like that. In terms of the ships, that was really driven by what we'd heard about SpaceX and how they approached design. You know, we'd heard that uh, Elon Musk had Hollywood costume designer design their spacesuits and then told his engineers, really? okay, you guys have to figure out how to put the tech into the suit so it still looks good. And his, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, and his, uh, his, the, his, the interior design of the, of the Dragon capsule, very much the same. He wanted everything sleek, touch screens. He's a huge science fiction fan. Uh, and I think that idea led to us trying to embrace that in terms of the design of Helios versus NASA's a function-first organization. There's no thought about design, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's all about what will be the most functional and straightforward way to get us where we need to go. Cynthia, are there any particular moments you can think of? Because, you know, we were all in such tight quarters in the Sojourner, <laughs> um, that you can think of that jump out at you as like, that was a really fun moment or that was a really weird moment. Um, 
I can think of a few. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gosh, we really did get to bond. I feel like it was Mm -hmm. like camp. We were Mm -hmm. all— you know, camp attendees, and we we were, you know, crammed together, and we got to laugh together, drive each other crazy, all of that, <laughs> you know, when someone's making a joke, and you're like, oh, it's the 12th hour, like, can you not? And um, yeah, that's just, it's, it, you become a family. You drive each other crazy, but you have each other's back. All the pirate jokes. I remember it was like one of our first mm-hmm. days shooting together, right? And you're like, uh, Miss Baldwin, I think we need a shanty. And it was so funny seeing everybody bounce. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, we're really going for the pirate thing. Like, we're really leaning into it. And it was, <laughs> I think we just chuckled after each take because it was, it was team bonding. It was team building. And it was fun to see the crew have fun and enjoy each other before everything goes downhill. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the pirate No spoilers, stuff. but things get bad. Yeah. Things get really, really bad. Yeah. Um, Matt, I want to I wanna come back to Happy Valley because the season has just been such a great season for Danielle in so many ways. Um, and that monologue is a small little moment where Danielle's talking to Cynthia and she's talking about being this little kid who is alone in the library and just combing through books and sitting down and reading. And she read about this, um, oh, goodness, what's the real name of Happy Valley? I just, uh, it's it just Mel- blanked Melis on me. Kasma. M- Melis Kasma. She's read about Melis Kasma, and it just is a happy place, and it made her happy. Talk to me more about when you, as a writer and as a showrunner, when you guys find ways and times to inject these stories that don't necessarily move the plot forward, but they inform us more about the character. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably the most important thing that we do in our storytelling is is mm-hmm. we're always trying to think of ways to carve out little character moments because it just enriches everything. You know, that scene, I love that scene because you really get a sense of, for Danielle, how long a dream this has been for her and how Mm -hmm. much she appreciates where she is so that when we see her going through the trials and tribulations to come, you sort of understand more what is driving her, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and how close it is to her heart to succeed uh, and to get to this place. I feel like throughout our story, we've got folks that are a part of the old guard we see that with Molly so much so that it causes her to lose her job or she's she knows how things should go and she knows how um, she wants it to be and it should be Ed and it should be the tried and true folks. And then we've got this sort of band of outsiders and whether it's outsiders because of their ethnicity or outsiders in the case of um, Dev because of his way of thinking. Talk to me about the juxtaposition of these sort of old worlds and new worlds, insiders and outsiders, and how that that plays in our story. It's kind of at the heart of the show in a big way. You know, if you think about the first two episodes of the whole show, those two episodes Mm. really are about the old, old, old guard. And then in episode three, when the the female Ascans come in, that is sort of a challenge to that old, old guard. But what I love about the evolution of our show is that those women who challenged, they were the outsiders, they have now become the insiders on a certain level. Mm -hmm. We've seen each Mm -hmm. of them rise to become 
power centers in their own right. And now they're being challenged by new outsiders. Um, and so there's a constant evolution of power and power dynamics in, uh, in the show that I think is really fascinating with, with your character, with Margot's character and Molly's character and Ellen's character in, mm-hmm. in this season to see them all kind of grapple with being the power center and how do I, how do I want to use my power I feel like the the constant conversation that we're seeing with every character is the decision between, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And like with the Stevens, right? The right thing is to save the Jamestown base, but also the right thing is to make sure that you come home in one piece mm-hmm. to to live and to take care of your children. Absolutely. Um, Cynthia, what are some of the decisions? And we're going to see a huge decision for Kelly Baldwin later in the season. But what are some of the decisions that she's making now that um, could be perceived as wrong, that feel right to her, could be perceived as right to her or right for others that are wrong to her? Well, obviously, at the top of season three, she's at McMurdo Mm -hmm. Station doing her research, and she's deep into it. It's a huge sacrifice to, to upend your life and move to Antarctica and commit to that lifestyle. Um, but obviously the opportunity to go to Mars, she really had to just weigh it and, you know, she couldn't say no. And then Mm. the other moment I'm thinking of up until episode four is when she gets the call over the radio, um, Mm. a a mysterious Mm -hmm. phone call from a Russian and she has no idea what this person wants from her. She's like, what's going on? Uh, You know, why do you trust me? This sounds very weird. Um, yeah, I think she's kind of like, uh, in that moment, I, I, that's not so much a decision. Obviously, the decision was Commander Pools and NASA's to do the rescue. But I think Kelly personally was kind of thinking, what are we getting ourselves into? And who is this person? And do I trust them? Mm-hmm. Stepping back a bit from the Kelly of it all and thinking about your experience, Cynthia, what is it like to come into a show starting its second season and be immersed in this world of actors who have created this little family unit and you realize I have to both find my way in this group, but also at some point carry the torch and become the next generation. It's one of the things that I love and also sort of hate about our show is that it's generational. And we've created this younger group of folks who will grow up and eventually become the leaders in our world. What does that responsibility feel like for you and the experience? So joining the cast in season two, obviously I was elated, like over the moon. (laughs) Season two, I felt like I knew my place as a junior cast member. And then <laughs> I'm, I'm being so honest. I was like, okay, I know I know my place. Like, okay, Kelly plays like this. And then season three, like I said, Matt and Ben were just writing all kinds of stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, it's all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it was terrifying. It's terrifying to, you know, kind of go, in my mind, Cynthia, you know, as an actor, I'm like, gosh, they're writing freaking great stuff. This is delicious. I'm sinking my teeth into this. I'm getting to do all this research and ask all the questions. But uh, that's the fun part, right, where you get to mm-hmm. sink your teeth in and do it. And there's always just a little bit of like, gosh, I hope I hope I am worthy. I hope I am carrying the torch and doing, doing justice by, you know, the foundation, the beautiful foundation that you all have built.
As we bring the conversation to a close, I want to ask you both, um, Cynthia, I'll start with you. What are your highlights and lowlights of the whole of the For All Mankind experience? Mm, Okay. Okay, so the highlights. The highlights are, gosh, there's so many. Um, I'm watching some of the press screeners right now. Mm-hmm. And I literally am watching it like a freak going, holy cow. Um, <laughs> I'm a little nerd, like freaking out at the first three episodes, seeing everybody's work and all the scenes that I'm not a part of, the storylines I'm not a part of. I'm such a fan and a nerd of the show. And I've I've said this about <laughs> when I joined in season two. Everyone's work is so incredible and their commitment to it. Those are the highlights, seeing everybody's work. It's amazing. In production and post-production, it's incredible. Um, the low, the lows are um, obviously season two and, and moving forward, just saying goodbye to people. That's, mm-hmm. that's a really tough thing, saying goodbye to folks. And also it's just there's tough things about the pandemic where we haven't been able to do like uh, group table reads in person. Mm-hmm. Th- that's been hard, but hopefully moving forward, we we can have a little bit more in-person contact, but we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt Wolpert, same question. Mm. I would also have to say that for me, a low light was the the sort of restrictive nature of shooting through the pandemic. I was uh, I was talking with somebody the other day about how like there's a whole subset of of people on our crew that I have no idea what they look like below their eyes. I think everybody obviously put their heart and soul into the show. And it's very, uh, you know, time demanding <laughs> for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is difficult with two little kids sometimes and a wife that's like, when are you going to be home again? Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, it's all worth it, right? Um, the, uh <laughs> As you just cry into a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> It's worth it. It's all worth it. No, but but to to what Cynthia was saying, like seeing these episodes come together because they come together with all the visual effects that we have. They don't really come together until the visual effects are done. And seeing the episodes in their sort of finished state, I'm so incredibly proud of of what we were all able to do together. Mm-hmm. So that's a highlight for me, and I would also say that the donuts were a highlight. Like I have not, nice. I have not had a donut since we stopped shooting, and I'm very much looking <laughs> forward to having donuts again almost every day when we start shooting. We'll work again. for food. Yeah, nice. basically, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so we are not at the halfway point, but 304 is. We're approaching a pretty interesting precipice of the midway portion of the season. Um, Without giving too much away, Cynthia, what can we expect from Kelly heading into the second half of the season? Well, (laughs) (laughs) speaking of decisions and choices, some good, some bad, we're going to (laughs) see Kelly be a 20-something-year-old and... Feeling her way through it, and uh, <laughs> we we all hope for the best. Hang in, guys. Nice. Perfect, Matt. Any any spoilery non spoiler spoilers? <laughs> uh, that, that's a trap. perfect thread, way to put thread it. Thread that needle. Perfect way to put it. Um, 
I think people are going to not know which way is up over the next few episodes. Literally, mm-hmm. there's I would say almost every episode has sort of holy shit, I didn't see that coming moments mm-hmm. and and real you know, this season, the sort of, I hate the word action, but I can't think of a better one off the top of my head. But this season has so much more moments of that, more moments of scope that I think will really uh, amaze the audience. I'll tell you what, I obviously am biased because I'm on the show, but I just think that what we do is a really special special television show. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I get to do it with you guys. Same Z's. So, Oh, I feel the same way. Matt Walpert, Cynthia Wu, thank you so much for being my guest today on For All Mankind, the official podcast. You both have been great. Say goodbye, guys. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. Had a lot of fun. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us on this episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. Be sure to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus where available. And check out Kelly Baldwin's Pirate Radio playlist on Apple Music. Don't forget to join us again next week where we'll discuss Episode 5. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast produced by Atwell Media. Executive produced by Will Malnati and me, Chris Marshall. Produced by Elliot Davis, Drew Beebe, Naila Andre, and Jenny Barish. Sound editing and mixing by Andrew Holzberger. Until next time, I'm Chris Marshall. Safe and sound, Earthside.